Hello from the members of First United Methodist Church in Royce City. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you find it meaningful and relevant. You're invited to join us for worship anytime, and you can learn more about our worship options, location, and small group opportunities by visiting our website, fumcroycecity.org. Today, we hear from our pastor, Reverend Chris Everson. May God bless you as you listen to His Word proclaimed. Oh God, we thank you for, for all the generations in our church. And as we have uh, the opportunity to celebrate and to, to give thanks for who you are, we give thanks for who we are because each and every one of us brings a, a, a new and different perspective into the uh, life of the church and how we are then called to reach out to uh, those around us. So God, as we begin this time together, we pray that you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart here be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. So this is concluding a series that I started four weeks ago called, uh, Who Do You Say That I Am? Based on the passage where Jesus is asking the disciples, who, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And we talked about who Jesus is, who the church is. And last week, I had so much fun putting together last week's message because it, it helped me to realize that there are seven generations of people in our church. Seven generations. We have, we have our... Um, the greatest generation, thank you. We have the silent generation. We have the boomers. We have those that are my age, the Gen Xers. We got our millennials. We got, <laughs> we got our uh, Gen Zs, which is pretty much our, our youth group, Gen Z. And then there's also a Gen Alpha that is kind of being the talked about now. Gen Alpha were, were those kiddos up here. Those are our, our itty bitties. You know, that's uh, the, the, the new, the next generation is here. And, you know, thinking about that message and thinking about that sermon, it, it made me think about how blessed we are, how blessed we have each other to lean on, to, to grow, grow with each other, to, to, to gain experience from, especially from our our older adults, our, our greatest and our silent generation. I have so much respect for them. And, and unfortunately, as I said last week, sometimes we as the church, we, we don't give the respect due to those who have gone before us. I mean, if you think about it, these are the ones who, who made this church what it is. You know, they served on the committees before. They did the, the trustee-ish type work around here. You know, they were the ones that, that, that went through a lot of different things to make it happen. And while they did that, they saw a whole bunch of change in their life. You know, growing up in, in Kansas, we would drive up to my dad's hometown called Mankato, Kansas. And he was a, a farm boy uh, in Mankato, Kansas. And when he was growing up, they didn't have running water in their house, so they had an outhouse. And while he enjoyed the, the comforts of, of going back to his mom and dad's house and being able to go to the bathroom on the inside, my brother and I, being little kids running around, we wanted to go out to the outhouse, and we wanted to do outhouse stuff out there, you know? 
because it was a novelty to us. It, we thought it was fun. We thought it was interesting. But the stories that I heard from my dad, sometimes going out to the outhouse wasn't fun at all. There were some things that happened out in that outhouse with snakes and other stuff that they had to be really careful for. But all of this to say is that our greatest and silent generation, they had a lot of changes to go through. But we also have to realize that our younger generations, they have a lot of stuff that they're going through too. That, that is stuff that we, as older adults, we've never had to deal with because we, we didn't have all of the stuff that we have, and we'll get into that later. You know, I, uh, I started my call to uh, ministry the, uh, the summer after my 10th year high school reunion and uh, made the plans right after the reunion to, to pack up a U-Haul and move down here to Texas to go to Perkins School of Theology. And I don't know if I've shared this part of, of my ministry story or not, but I, I took a job uh, as I started Perkins School of Theology as the children and youth music director for a church out in the Central Texas Conference. And while I was there, I, I had that part-time gig, and then I worked also at Books A Million uh, out at Grapevine Mills Mall, and I also went to seminary full-time too. So my life wa was really hectic and really busy. So part of my job as the children and youth music person is that I was also the assistant youth director. And while I was helping the, the youth director do the ministry at this church, I realized that, man, all they did was like all of these, these fun stuff. The director would say, hey, let's go to Taco Bell, and then we'll go bowling, or let's go to CeCe's, and then we'll go to play whirly ball, or everything was just a fun activity. And while that was going on, I noticed that there was a drop-off of, of youth participation. And uh, that bothered me because I, I grew up in a strong youth group and, and, and I always loved going to youth and we started to ask questions. Why, why aren't you going to youth? And, and once when the pastor and I were sitting down having a conversation with the juniors and seniors, one of the junior girls made a, a very eye-opening comment she said, why in the world would I want to go to youth? Because I don't know anyone there. And, and why would I want to go bowling with a whole bunch of people that I don't know while I can go bowling with my boyfriend and people I know and my boyfriend will pay for it? And that started me to think, we're missing the mark. We're missing the point. They don't want to come and, and just do social stuff. They can do social stuff anywhere else. What they were wanting and what they were needing were opportunities to grow in their faith. They wanted to be challenged in their, their, their walk with, with God, their walk with Christ, and they wanted to build relationships. So with all of that happening, I decided that it was time for me to try to take a job as a youth director. So I applied at a couple of places and got hired to do youth ministry in Gainesville, Texas. And that started my journey here in what's called the North Texas Conference and my journey towards ordained ministry. And there was one verse that's our, our scripture for today that, that I've really held on to whenever I think about youth ministry and the importance of that ministry for youth and for children from 1 Timothy 
chapter 4, verse 12. And that's this passage right here. Paul writes, Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way that you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. See, this passage just it's, just, it's just full of wisdom from Paul as he's writing to his, his protege or, or his apprentice, if you will, Timothy, who, who is now in charge of a worshiping community. And he's saying, look, I know that you're young, and I know that you are, you are growing in your faith, but don't let that be a hindrance. You know, use what you have so that the people around you can, can grow. They can see the example that you live. They can see the wisdom that you're already gaining, and they can see the love that you have for one another. And and from that moment on, I said, you know, that is what I want my churches to to be known for, to have youth ministries that that, that are full of passion and and growing and, and sharing the love of Jesus with others. But there's something that I also had to come to grips to. It's that youth ministry is different now than it was even nine years ago. There, there's a lot of stuff that has changed for, for us to remember as we continue to be in ministry, not to youth, but with youth, ministry together. And it's this little meme that I saw on Facebook that says this. It says, you cannot raise your children how your parents raised you because they raised you for a world that no longer exists. And if you think about that, that's true. The world that we have today is totally different. I mean, and speaking from my own experience as a 47-year-old, the world today is so different than the world that I grew up in. You know, the world that I grew up in, you know, we left our front doors unlocked or, or even wide open. Uh, people were able to walk in and out whenever. You know, we copped on our bikes and we rode around the neighborhood several times until the lights got, until it got dark and then we went home. I even ran away from home a couple of times, you know, went down, down to a couple of valleys and put up a little tent and then realized that's just stupid, so I went back home. <laughs> but my parents allowed that because, you know, he's going to be back. You know, there's nothing to be worried about. You know, e- even with the stuff that we're hearing in the news, there's a lot of dangerous things that, that we want to protect our kiddos from even today. We listen a lot to a guy by the name of Brady Shearer. He's, uh, I think he's 28 years old, and he's already made a a whole bunch of of money doing tech stuff and a lot of tech stuff with churches. And and one of his taglines that he repeats over and over again is that right now we are in the biggest communication shift in 500 years. What is going on communication-wide for us right now is the biggest shift since the printing press was created 500 years ago. You know, the printing press w- was revolutionary. We, we, we got Bibles printed so everybody could have a copy. That's how tracts and, and p- newspapers started to get printed. It, it was such a revolutionary thing that people back then, they didn't know what to do 
when they actually were able to, to hold something and read it for themselves. They didn't have to rely on somebody translating or, or telling them what to say. They had the ability to do that right here. So when we think about this communication shift that we have right now, it is just mind-blowing. Just the example with, with this whole thing called TikTok now. It makes me sound really old now. That's thing called TikTok. No, you know, I remember when MySpace was a thing, and that's pretty much gone away. Then Facebook and Twitter, then Instagram. You know, most of the kids are on Snapchat right now. You know, um, and, and then this, this, tick, this TikTok thing. You know, it just keeps changing over and over as we continue to progress. Technology is changing. The way we communicate is changing. And it's making people like me feel so old and so out of touch whenever I even try to experience what it's all about. So how do we deal with all this change? How do we help our, our younger people grow as disciples of Jesus Christ? Well, first, I think we have to come to a realization. And that realization is what the Barna organization calls, and I think I mentioned it last week, a digital Babylon. And what that means, it, it, it's a place of, of exile. It, it, it's a place that is uh, so different from, from what we are accustomed to, the Barna organization describes it as this. Digital Babylon is an accelerated, complex culture that is marked by phenomenal access, profound alienation, and a crisis of authority. Wow. That's deep, isn't it? How, how, how do we talk about these different things? Well, accelerated. The world is moving at such a fast pace right now. The news cycle is, is a great example of that. You know, uh, something hits the news, and if you, if you miss it, five minutes later, there's something else that, that grabs your attention. You know, whatever I, when I take a look at, at Fox News or, or CNN or, or, yeah, or MSNBC, you know, they have these crawls that are going on at the bottom of the page, they always flash up there, you know, breaking news, you know. So it's, it makes you think, oh, my word, there's something that I'm missing. But, you know, if you miss that one, you can catch the next breaking news thing. It's all of this excitement, and it's moving faster and faster. The speed of information, our, our, our pace of life is faster. The way things change is just amazing, just accelerated pace, and it's complex. The, the culture that we live in now is, is way more complex than it, than it has been. Every day feels increasingly complicated and uncertainty. And part of that reason is that we have unlimited access, you know, with Wi-Fi all over the place. I think downtown even has Wi-Fi available. If you're, if you're hanging out in Cookston Court, you can get on the, uh, the downtown Wi-Fi. We have Wi-Fi here in the church if you wanted, wanted to do that. I won't tell you what the password is, but no, no uh, that's available if you, if you needed to get on that because we want to have access to everything. And then just look at the, what we have in our pockets. Those, those phone devices that we have, they're not just phones, they're computers that you're able to Google 
anything you want. So we have all of this access, but the access leads to profound alienation. It's amazing how alone people feel when we're so connected, when we're looking at different Instagram accounts or Facebook accounts and we're posting all of the highlights of our lives, all of the great pictures, all of the great activities. We, we make it look like that there's no problem at all when the matter of fact is that some of us are dealing with absolutely incredible hurts. Or, or when we look at these posts where we think that our life isn't as good as somebody else's because all we see are, are incredible vacation pictures, trips to Disneyland, beautiful sceneries, all of this stuff, it causes us to have this alienation. And then there's also a crisis of authority. We don't know who to trust anymore. We don't trust our government anymore. You know, the Democrats are crazy and the Republicans are evil. You know, all of this type of stuff, you know, we, we, we look at that, you know, we don't even know what to think about pastors anymore. You know, are they the authorities that we hold up or listen to anymore? Because we're told time and time again that we can't trust authority. We can't trust those people that, that we have placed to help guide us and lead us. See, this is the world that, that we are walking into, and unfortunately, this is a world that our children and our youth are being born into. And so no wonder there's questioning. No wonder there is a sense of, of not understanding and not seeing and not being able to go to someone when they have a need. My friends, we are caught between cultures. We are caught between cultures from, from a, a, a very simplified, uh, mono-religious, slow-paced, central control, sweet and simple culture where really the only idols that we had to deal with is showing how religious we were and also having this false piety that, that we have it all together to a new type of culture which is Pluralist, pluralistic. What I mean by that is that, you know, all you have to do is really be a good person and, and everything will be fine to this accelerated and moving fast to an open source where all you have to do is just look at your phone and you can get whatever answer you want. It's complex. It's bittersweet. And the idols have been replaced with an idol of, of fitting in an idol of belonging, an idol of the fear of missing out, that if we miss out on things, then we are just not good enough. Who's depressed right now besides me? <laughs> but there is good news. There is good news. There is a way that we can help each other move through this, this digital Babylon. First of all, we must importantly, hold on to our identity. Identity is one of those words that gets thrown around a lot, and, and, it, and it makes me sick because we say, it, life doesn't matter unless you are a cowboy fan. Life doesn't matter unless you're a Democrat or a Republican. All this other identity stuff just doesn't matter. Life doesn't matter 
if you believe one way or another, as long as you believe in the right way. But the fact of the matter is, as followers of Christ, we must hold on to one true identity, and that we are beloved daughters and sons of God. And we hold on to the truth of what Jesus Christ has given us. One of my favorite passages that I know that I've shared with you over and over again, and I'll continue to share with you unabashedly, is a passage from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, where we see, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Go back to the very first slide, if you will, Steve. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. That's the identity that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, must hold on to. Everything else is sinking sand. No matter where you try to stand, you will miss the mark unless you hold on to the fact that we have been raised with Christ. And with our being raised with Christ, we set our minds on things above, not on these earthly things that we worry about, not worrying about if we are in the right crowd or if we've posted the right thing online or if we have what the next person has or we're keeping up with the Joneses, to use an older phrase. All of that thing is hogwash. But what matters if we hold on to our identity as those who Christ came to make free through his death and through his resurrection. The second way that we do that is that we practice cultural discernment. And what I mean by cultural discernment is the, is the best way to look at that is, is looking at what, what Paul did in Acts chapter 17. Paul was uh, teaching in Athens, and a bunch of the higher-ups heard what he was saying, and it, it confused them, and, and they wanted more information, so they invited him to this place called the Oropagus. And, and what the Oropagus was, it's where all of the philosophers, all the teachers all gathered to talk about philosophy and higher things. And as Paul was walking through the Oropagus, he found this statue along with the statue of Apollo, Athena, Zeus, that said, this statue is for an unknown god. So the Greeks were, were smart. They, they knew that they didn't have all their bases covered, so they, they, they built a statue for an unknown god. So if things went wrong, they can say, well, we're just going to pray to this unknown god, so hopefully everything will go fine. But Paul took this opportunity to take what was in the middle of their culture and say, look, you guys aren't that far off. There is an unknown God to you. Let me tell you who this unknown God is. And he took the opportunity to, to explain to them who Jesus was. But that's not the only thing that he did. He, he was able to read what the poets have written. And he found this, this stoic poem that talked about who Jesus was. 
And I said, look, even your poets, they understand, but they didn't have the right language to talk about it. But this passage, this poem, is pointing to the person of Jesus Christ. We can do that in our own culture. There are so many ways that people are, are reaching out to Jesus, and they just don't know it yet. They, they are using the language. They are using the words. They are wanting to hear. But we, as followers of Jesus Christ, we, ne we need to be listening so that we can then say, look, this is where Jesus is in your life. This is how you can continue to grow and to experience the life that we have. And the only way that we're able to do that is when we establish meaningful relationships. You know, I, I think about that church that I was a part of, and, and I realized, you know, that's what was missing in the youth group. There were, not, there were not meaningful relationships being built between the youth and the adults. It, it was just a, a social club for the kids to come to do different activities. There must be an opportunity for relationships to be built. And my friends, that's something that must happen in the life of the church too. We must work to build meaningful relationships because that helps soften the, the sharp edges in our lives. That helps us to see ways that, that we can grow and we can understand and listen to differing viewpoints that may be just the point of contention but it's something that doesn't really have to divide who we are. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says it this way. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Being in relationship means that we must forgive a lot. And we must take time to, to listen so that we can be forgiving. You know, uh, I, I ran from my original call to ministry because uh, one of the phrases that I heard was that you don't have to be a pastor because you can do ministry where you are. And I firmly believe that. I think some of you are in places where you can actually share the gospel a whole lot more effective than I can standing up here for about 25 minutes on a Sunday. It is through the relationships that you build that you have the opportunity to share God's grace with others. A way that that's being talked about right now is a, is a phrase called vocational uh, discipleship. And that means taking where you are and then sharing God's love in tangible ways to others. See, we have a, a false view of what discipleship really is. Sometimes we think that discipleship is, is where we go to a Sunday school class or a, a small group for an hour or so during the week, and we get our discipleship. But honestly, we get our discipleship when we are out and about seeing, like what Paul saw in 
the 17th chapter of Acts, seeing where God is already actively moving so that we can be a part of what God is doing in our community. Us Wesleyans, we have a way of talking about that. We call it provenient grace. And this is a grace that comes before us. It's, it's a grace that, that meets us before we're even aware of it. But it's a grace that we can see when we open our eyes and we see those around us. And the biggest example is an example that happened just this Friday. A musician by the name of Kanye West came out with a brand new album on Friday called Jesus is King. And whenever I saw that, my mouth dropped. I cannot believe Kanye West has come out with a, a Christian album. I've heard some of his other stuff. and I'm like, There's absolutely no way he can come out with something like that. But then I listened to it out of curiosity, and that album has blown me away. Just listening to his words, listening to his poetry, listening to one of his songs where he says, you know, what are the Christians going to say about this? They're going to make fun of me. They're going to say that there's no way in the world I can come out with an album like this. He was on Jimmy Kimmel's show here recently, and Jimmy Kimmel asked him, do you consider yourself a Christian artist now? And Kanye replied, I'm just a Christian everything. What a testimony. What a testimony that we are so easy to dismiss just because of Kanye's past. But, but he gives us an example of what it means to, to have, have this vocational discipleship. He's saying, in everything that I do now, I am a follower of Christ. What, what happened in my past, that's my past. I, I can't undo anything that I did back then. But right now, here and now, I am going to live for Christ, and I am going to share Christ with my family, with those who I work with, for those who I am in relationship with. And I pray for him that, that it's something that he is able to use to, to share a platform of God's love and grace with a whole wider population than I could ever do. And that's because he's using his platform to show that because I am a follower of Christ, I give everything to Christ. That is the final example of, of what it takes to really share Christ in this digital world is that you have to have a countercultural mission. You have to realize that, that what we have isn't something that we hold on to ourselves, but is something that we are called to give to others. And it changes us. It changes us in a, in a profound way. The paraphrase of Romans 12, verse 2, says it like this from the message. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without ever thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. 
unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. That's my message to us and to our youth today. We don't have to be dragged down to what the culture is doing around us. We can be a shining light, an example of the love and grace of Jesus Christ so that others may see us as sons and daughters of God. I'm going to invite JP up here. I wanted to have an actual youth say something. That way it's not me the entire time. But I had JP uh, think about a couple of questions. Uh, JP, um, what was the first one? Oh, yeah. What is it that you love about your church? Well, me and my family moved here about four or five years ago. And we actually went to several churches before we ever came here. And they were some pretty big churches. They had some moving worship. They had a lot of money, big youth groups. But when we came here, we knew it was home because of the love and care of everyone here. And from, like, Gordon, when I came here and went through confirmation, he was my mentor. And I know I can always go to him. I know I can always go to anyone in here, Chris, anyone here, and I love y'all, and that is what makes this church a family, and that's what I love about it. Okay, real quick, take a listen to what he said. He talked about we had a, a very meaningful identity as a church, okay? We practiced cultural discernment. We, we knew that we have a different way of sharing God's love with others. We practice this meaningful relationships in your own way, in your own voca vocation. You were able to show dis discipleship to the entire Payne family where that caught on with them and it was a part of the mission, the counterculture mission that we have that continues to allow us to grow as disciples of Jesus Christ. See, that is your story. That is what you are doing as a church, and that is what this community needs. All right, the other question was, what is it that you want the church to know about youth? Now, this is just JP's story. Ask the other youth that are around and, and get their answers from them. But JP, what's your answer? So personally, I think today you see a lot of the bad side of our generation whether it's on the news, social media, whatever it is. But the majority of us are actually good people, shocker. And uh, <laughs> we want to be good people, and we are here to do the right thing, and we need mentors to teach us. And we'd love to have y'all teach us and lead us through this because we need help. We're young. We're naive. And, yeah, we're not all dumb. <laughs> Thank you, JP. So that's our challenge as the church. I'm going to invite the youth back up uh, for our closing song. And as they come forward, y'all can move now. That's our challenge is that we are blessed. We are blessed with seven generations, seven generations of love, seven generations of knowledge, seven generations of doing church differently in finding ways where, where we can be God's light and grace to the culture around us so that we can always be introducing people 
to a God that they don't know and invite them to, to be a part of this relationship so that they may grow and then invite others. Let us pray. Oh God, as we conclude our service, we pray that you uh, continue to allow us to grow as your disciples. When we uh, see how the world is, is this changing day after day and how this world is, is, is challenging for us, help us to pause. Help us to give thanks for who you are and the relationships that you have placed in our lives. And help us always to always form our, our identity in you. And we pray this in Christ our Lord. Amen.